Friends, I believe that God has something very important to say to us this morning. God led Kim to, to lead us to, on that time of meditation to think very carefully, what does God have to say to us? So, pay attention. Because he's going to give you some practical steps, something um, that you may have already thought of, or you're wondering if you were a little bit stumped at that exercise, wondering how can I reflect God's glory? I believe after the next few minutes you'll have some more concrete ideas. All of us have grown up with uh, a language group or a cultural group, or maybe it's a faith-based group. We've grown up with a sense of identity in our group. One of the downfalls of that, it's good to have a cultural identity, to know who you are. When I was pastoring a Mennonite church, my previous uh, assignment, I thought, wow, these folks have such a strong cultural identity. What am I? I mean, my people got off the boat about 100 years ago in Canada, and other than calling myself Canadian, what am I? So I thought, I'm going to self-identify as a Celtic Anabaptist. So I played up my Irish roots just for fun, just to tease them. And I'm half Scottish, so I used to tease them about being thrifty and cheap, and I knew better than them. But I don't really attach that much, that strongly, to my ethnicity anymore. Don't tell my mom I said that. Um, but one of the things about having a cultural identity, you look at everybody else, and they become those people. I don't know if you grew up in your home, in your own society, whatever cultural group you grew up in, and there's always a sense of those people. And that can have some dangerous um, connotations to it. And it was causing a problem in the early church when the church first got started. Now, we've been looking at the book of Ephesians in just a quick refresher course as we think about uh, the book of Ephesians. Remember, we started out realizing that God has adopted us into his family out of pure grace of love. He just picked us out before the world was even created. And he said, I want to adopt these people into my family. And that was beautiful, right? And someone thought that was so marvelous that for my birthday, they gave me the following fridge magnet. Jesus loves you, but I'm his favorite. Now, I can't really put that up in my office because I know you would understand that humor. But first impression, people think, what kind of arrogant preacher is this? So I'll just, that's a private, just an in-joke with us, right? But we think about the beauty of adoption into God's family and how marvelous that was. And then um, we looked at the fact that Paul wrote this letter to remind the Ephesians of who they were in Christ. The church has got Cinderella with amnesia. We forget why we exist in the first place, right? We get so caught up in our own needs, we, we forget the fact that God has called us to be His, to be salt and life in society, to, to be a place where people can meet Him and be adopted into His family and then go out and change the world. We forget about that. We lose track of what our true purpose is. And then we went, last two weeks ago, we, we talked about the fact that God transformed messed up pe people into His masterpieces through power and grace. He's given us a task to do. He's given us the privilege of sharing with Him and this, sharing this good news, okay? 
So that talks a lot about how our relationship is restored with Him, with our Creator, which really is our most important relationship. But this morning, I want to propose to you that you cannot have a restored relationship with our Creator without having a restored relationship and a different perspective on the people around us. So let's have a look, a brief look at this passage from Ephesians, the next part of the letter. One of the problems with not reading the whole book at once, we don't have time to do that today, some random sporting event is on TV, and you might get a little twitchy today waiting as we read through the whole book of Ephesians. So one of the problems is that we just look at different chunks and we don't try them together, tie them together. So I've been attempting to give you a little bit of perspective of where we are in the book. So Paul is celebrating the fact God loves you, he's adopted you, you're a called people, he's got a purpose for you, and so what? What's next? Well, here's where we pick it up. Paul reminds his audience they were primarily Gentiles, primarily people who were not Jewish. He says, don't forget you Gentiles used to be outsiders. You were called uncircumcised heathens by the Jews who were proud of their circumcision, even though it affected only their bodies and not their hearts. He's reminding the Gentiles, you guys used to be outsiders as far as the Jews were concerned. Uh, let me comment just briefly on this. Um, Jews were taught, um, they, they were quite proud of, of their relationship with God, and they took this privilege and took it to such an extreme that they would look at Gentiles and say, wow, you know, Gentiles were really created to be fuel for the fires of hell. What a nice thing to say about your neighbors, right? Can you imagine walking down your street and stopping in front of someone who's not following Jesus right now? Guess what? You were created to be fired for the fuel of hell. Not a way to start up a conversation and invite them to church, right? And that's, that was the perspective of uh, Jewish people and Gentiles. It wasn't even lawful for Jews to help a Gentile woman in childbirth because that might, resent, might result in another Gentile being born. And if, you, if a Jew married a Gentile, the funeral of that Jew would be carried out and you'd be cut off. I was talking to one of my neighbors uh, recently and he told me about he is a, being brought up Catholic and married a Protestant and that it caused out of some fluffle in the family but they've had a long and happy marriage. It's been great, they're lovely people and that seemed to have turned out all right. And I don't think there was any funeral held for either of them when they got married. So things have changed a little bit today, but we still have this tendency to look at people as outsiders or those people. And Paul is trying to say to these Gentiles, you used to be looked upon that way by the Jews, but you're not now. Before we proceed, I wanna just mention something about the Jews in this verse. The Jews were proud of their circumcision. It was a physical circumcision. You know, men would have the not, they wouldn't volunteer for this, but as eight-day-old babies, uh, the males would have the foreskin of their penis cut off, and that would be a sign that they were God's people, right? And they were actually proud of this because it made them kind of a select group in, in their world. But the problem is, with the circumcision, it affected only their bodies and not their hearts. All through the Old Testament, 
God is calling on people, circumscribe your hearts, your central, like, don't just rely on this outward physical symbol to say, ooh, I'm on the inside with God. That's what they were doing. Don't rely on religious performance to have an inside track with God. Circumcise your heart. So what's really important is what's on the inside. I met a gentleman yesterday who was 83 years old. He grew up in a very, very legalistic culture and legalistic church. About five years ago, he discovered God's grace in his life. It was through Tim Fletcher's pre uh, preaching and finding freedom, and it, was just, it just transformed this man into a gentle, caring, loving Papa Bear. And everybody refers to him as kind of the Papa Bear of the group. Lovely guy. And as he was talking about discovering God's grace firsthand, he actually started tearing up this dignified, respectable-looking gentleman. It, it, it had affected his heart, right? He had spent approximately well, 78 years really close, you know, near to God with all the right culture and religion and so on, but it had not penetrated his heart. And that's what, what Paul is writing here. He said, the Gentiles regarded as far away, the Jews were closer to God, but they were proud of all their spiritual, their, their spiritual heritage and culture that hadn't penetrated their hearts. So either one of them were equally lost. Let's continue. So in those days, he's talking to the Gentiles again, you were living far apart from Christ. You were excluded from citizenship among the people of Israel, and you did not know the covenant promises God had made to them. You lived in this world without God and without hope. But now, You've been united with Christ Jesus. Once you were far away from God, but now you, you've been brought near to Him through the blood of Christ. This verb, brought near to Him, is, uh, I won't repeat the Greek word to you, prosagoge, there it it slipped out. But the idea of this word is there was, there was actually someone in uh, a royal official's court. He was a prosagoge guy. He was the person who would introduce people to the king. If you were waiting to have an audience with the king, you don't just burst into the king's living room and say, hey, king, how it's going? Very good way to lose your head. You don't do that. You go through the proper protocol, and the prosagoge person would say, at the right time, okay, I will usher you into the king's presence. Jesus, through his death, made it possible for us to enter into God's presence. I think about that. I love the way Kim set us up today by thinking about how an awesome God revealed himself and his intentions for human beings through the Ten Commandments and talking about that veil I hope you got a sense of the awesomeness of God. And now it's possible for us to come into his presence through Jesus, through the prosagoge presence, okay? Being brought near to him through the blood of Christ. For Christ himself has brought peace to us. He united Jews and Gentiles into one people when in his own body on the cross, he broke down the wall of hostility that separated us. 
Between Jews and Gentiles, there was a literal wall of hostility in the temple that was a center for Jewish worship. There was a wall. There were several courts, almost like concentric rings in the temple. Imagine that. There was the Holy of Holies, where God's presence was most believed to be most powerfully revealed. And once a year, the high priest would go into offer an offering for his people. It was so holy, they would tie a rope around his ankle in case he was overcome by God's presence and died, they would be able to drag the body out. How does that make you feel about going to church? Sometimes I think we should issue helmets. When you come in here, everyone should get a helmet. And there should be a sign up saying, beware of God. Not because we're terrified, we're just awestruck and reminded of his power and majesty. Okay, so it's just the holy police, and there's a holy place. And then there's outer, outer, outer courts where people would worship. And at the very farthest edge of the temple, so to speak, was the court of the Gentiles. And there was a barrier about four feet high, four and a half feet high, um, with warning signs saying any Gentile who comes into the court um, in, any further into the temple um, will be killed. Alright? Watch out. Can you imagine having danger signs like that on a church? Watch out. But now, what Paul is saying is that this wall of hostility, that wall that separated Jews and Gentiles, is torn down. It's abolished. It's broken. And Jesus did this by ending the system of law with its commandments and regulations. The Ten Commandments were valuable. They were designed to point us to our need for God. But we don't accomplish reconciliation with God just by keeping commandments. We should still keep them out of love for God. But what restores our relationship with God is the blood of Jesus. Him dying on the cross for us and nothing else. He made peace between Jews and Gentiles by creating in himself one new people from the two groups. Well, listen carefully. This is where it gets good. There is no, therefore, there is no place for racism or segregation or interracial hatred in the church of Jesus Christ. No place. It is, I believe, an utter abomination. It trashes the gospel. It makes it worthless. Would you take a Bible and spit on it? I hope not. Would you take God's reputation and trash people, especially brothers and sisters in Christ from another ethnic background, and disparage them and look down on them, you might as well be spitting on the Bible, spitting on Jesus. I can't say that strongly enough because Jesus has made us one new people. And this word new in Greek is very powerful. It, it just means a totally new creation. He's managed to put together Jews and Gentiles. And in that culture, that was mind-boggling for the audience. Mind-boggling. And if you know anything about the book of Acts and the history of the church when it was just getting started, 
there was considerable danger in not one church starting, but two. One for Jewish Christians and one for Gentile Christians. And the early apostles had to work really hard at listening to the Spirit of God. And the Spirit of God said, no, it's not Gentile Christians and Jewish Christians, it's just Christians. Non-hyphenated Christians, just Christians. You get it? It's a new people from the two groups. So together as one body, Christ reconciled both groups to God by means of his death on the cross, and our hostility toward each other was put to death. Now that doesn't mean our ethnic differences just totally disappear. I love our international potlucks. I've been bugging the staff, you've got to get another one. You know, we, we celebrate our, our ethnic backgrounds and stuff, but we don't use it as a way to, to point out, oh, those people, those people, some of those people love Jesus too. And they're more our brothers and sisters than the biological families that we grew up with, probably. So we can't look at anyone, we cannot look down at other ethnic groups and say, sorry, you don't have any value, you take second place. We cannot do that if we really follow Jesus. He brought this good news of peace to you Gentiles who are far away from him and peace to the Jews who were near. Now all of us can come to the Father through the, whole, through the same Holy Spirit because of what Christ has done for us. He's reminding us that we were all lost without Jesus. No one's got the inside track on God. And I wanted to tell you the story of meeting this respectable, lovely, older gentleman because he had been a church-going, stalwart person all of his life, yet nothing had penetrated his heart. And he would be the first to admit that. I was tempted to bring him today and invite him just to share his story. Because it's a great illustration of someone who could be near and yet so far away. And some of the rest of us can relate to being far away from God and now brought into his family and very grateful. It all boils down to the same Holy Spirit because of what Jesus has done for us. Paul goes on and says, So now you Gentiles are no longer strangers and foreigners. You're... you're <laughs> No longer just resident aliens and people waiting to get, you know, full citizenship. You're adopted into God's family. You are citizens along with all of God's holy people. You are members of God's family. Together, we are His house, built on the foundation of the apostles and the prophets. And the cornerstone is Jesus Christ Himself. The analogy changes a little bit from being a family to being a building that God is building together, but a living temple. Jesus is the cornerstone. Why the cornerstone? If you've done any building at all, or any foundation work at all, you know how important it is to get your corners square and to get your walls plumb and everything. You've got to start somewhere. He's the reference point. He's a starting point for His new creation. And we are carefully joined together in Him, becoming a holy temple for the Lord. Through him, you Gentiles are also being made part of this dwelling where God lives by his Spirit. So what's the bottom line here, friends? Through Jesus, God has reconciled us to himself and us to each other. 
So think about the different groups that have been at odds in human history. Black and white, French and English, Hutu and Tutsi, Catholic versus Protestant, settler people versus indigenous people here in Canada. Now any, in any society without Jesus, there's nothing but walls between different races. And it's a sad history of the human race. But Jesus is our peace. You can sign peace treaties. You can sign legal documents that will stop a war, stop active fighting. But I would submit to you that it's no better than a ceasefire. Now a ceasefire is better than fighting. A cessation of hostility is great. You know that North Korea and South Korea are still officially at war, right? They never signed a peace treaty. But Jesus is our peace with God. And the surest way to bring two people together, two warring parties, is through someone that they both love. You have two friends that are fighting with each other, and you kind of volunteer to get pulled into it and say, look, Joe, you shouldn't be angry at Jack because I love you both and I want you guys to sort things out. And because of a mutual love, you can bring those two parties together, right? What Paul is saying, Jesus is our peace. So it does not matter what ethnic background we're from or how we feel about other Christians of different ethnic backgrounds. Jesus is our peace, and that's what unites us. That's got tremendously powerful implications for living out the gospel. Especially in a city that may or may not have deserved the title of most racist place in Canada, right? Um, we're going to put McLean's aside for a bit, but just say, we all have our stuff, right? And Jesus has made us one with other folks from different ethnic backgrounds, and it needs to reflect that in our attitudes towards each other and our actions. Jesus has removed the fences between people because he abolished all religion that was founded on rules and regulations and started a faith whose foundation is love and God's grace. Unity in Christ isn't achieved by blotting out all our different racial characteristics. He's not saying make us all kind of a plain shade of vanilla. I think vanilla is kind of boring. And Christianity, incidentally, is not a white man's religion. Jesus wasn't Caucasian at all. Didn't look anything like me. You see, Christianity is a faith. It's a really, it's not so much a religion. It's, a, it's, it's following, it's a relationship. It's following Jesus, right? We've been adopted into God's family. That's not a, that's not a religion. That's, that's a relationship. And it's such a game changer. We don't understand it. We have no right to look at other people, especially here in this room together, and think, oh, they're different. What are they doing here? Well, sure, we don't all speak each other's languages. 
Do you remember, um, I can't remember, it was several months ago, I asked how many different mother tongues that were represented here at Elam Chapel. Beautiful. I love variety, you know? I don't want to be around a bunch of people who look just like me. Not a very attractive thing to think about, you know? I love God's variety that we have here. But the way we live it out is not just polite tolerance. We embrace each other because it's the love of Jesus in us loving each other. And these racial um, prejudices and barriers need to come down. Because we're God's building, and Jesus is our cornerstone. In 2004, I had the opportunity to go to Serbia with a team of high school students, and we did a missions trip there, and I had an opportunity to speak at a church in Serbia that was remarkable. If you remember in the late 90s, the country of Yugoslavia literally blew up. The, the tribalism and ethnic hatred had been bottled up there for several decades underneath uh, um, a dictatorship of Tito. And when he died, that communist country kind of blew up. And Yugoslavia, we used to be one country, became five or six. They keep on splitting off. And the results were just horrendous. Neighbors slaughtering neighbors. And it was just awful. So a few years after that, um, I go with some high school students to Serbia and just to help the church there and support it in its efforts to talk to people about Jesus. And I had the opportunity to preach in a church in Novi Sad, one of the larger cities in Serbia. It was remarkable. It should not exist. Do you know why? You had Serbs and Croats and Macedonians, even some folks from the Roma background, the Gypsy background, who are really, really not tolerated and hated it. <coughs> in Europe, it's remarkable that all these folks were worshiping together out of the common unity in Jesus. That was a difference maker. Jesus was the big difference maker in this church. It's remarkable even today when I think about it. In a country ripped apart by civil war and still with a lot of underlying tensions, that was one shining example of how following Jesus knocks down hatred and ethnic barriers. Beautiful illustration of what the potential and what our future is going to look like. We pray in the Lord's Prayer, Lord, let your will be done on heaven as, on earth as it is in heaven. That's how we need to pray for Winnipeg. And we need to pray that God will knock down these barriers amongst us so we can reflect His nature and His glory, all His unveiled glory. Because it's not just, following Jesus is not just about Jesus and me, it's about Jesus and us, right? Through Jesus, God has reconciled us to Himself and us to each other. Now we're going to share a common meal together right now. And just to prepare our hearts for that, I want us to uh, 
tune our hearts and say, okay, Lord, are there specific people? Is there a specific ethnic group that I have struggled with? Are you revealing, are you stirring anything up in me today that I need to get right with you? You'll have opportunity after the service to practice the three-minute rule and maybe talk to someone that you don't know and work that out and just kind of get started, okay? Please don't start your conversation with, I've never met anyone like you before and I need to meet you. That's not a good icebreaker, okay? My, I, I had a colleague who worked up north. Um, as a, he lived up north as a kid, as a young kid. He went to the school in this northern community, and as a white kid, he was the minority. He was the one getting picked on after school. But he talked to, he got to make some friends there, and he talked to one guy, and he said, so Joe, what do I call you? Do I call you uh, Aboriginal or First Nations? Like, what do I call you? And Joe said, call me Joe. Labels are helpful, but they're also barriers, right? Just get to know Joe as Joe. All right? Let's pray. Father, in Jesus' name, I pray that you will um, help us to work this out. If we have any deeply seated prejudices or fears about brothers and sisters from other ethnic backgrounds, I pray that you would expose that today. Just begin to break down those barriers. You've called us to be one in Jesus. And that takes work, and that takes effort, it takes intentionality. But I thank you that you have adopted us into your family. And your family is wildly, wildly, wildly diverse. And wildly, wildly, wildly beautiful. We thank you for this. In Jesus' name. Amen.